Welcome to Once Upon a Film Industry. I'm Stephen Lloyd Bennett. And I'm Al Lopez. And we are here today with Leanne, Melissa Bishop, and Michael Mason of Penguin Pictures. Right, guys? Hey. <laughs> That's right. Very glad to have you guys. You guys are a married couple. Yes. I never actually knew this. I've known you guys for, at this point, almost 10 years now, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I met you in New York. Yeah. yeah. Trying to think, but uh, yeah, it was way, way back with the Radio Man days when we did that Radio Man short. Yeah. Might even be 15 years. Yeah, I don't know. I, it's, I don't want to wow. myself, but yeah. Now you're starting to date us. Yeah. It was a while. I mean, it was when we were all in New York. Um, you guys are from Canada, and I actually never knew this about you guys, but how did you guys meet? Ah. She's from Nova Scotia. I spent years in Nova Scotia, but we never actually met there. Um, I left Nova Scotia to go to Toronto um, or to move back to Toronto. Um, I was born there originally and uh, and go to uh, sort of the Canadian version of the AFI uh, called the Canadian Film Center, CFC. I went to go to school there and you'll work on projects together. And one of the directors I worked with um, was a, wooden, a woman named Audrey Cummings, who I became uh, good friends with, and we've collaborated on a number of films. And um, she said, I, I met someone who'd be perfect for you. And, uh, and she I had met her just the week before, <laughs> because her, um, her husband went to high school with me. And I was I was finished school at the neighborhood playhouse in New York, but didn't have working papers yet. So I went to Toronto because I didn't know where else to go. And my parents were like, hey, you should look up Steve's wife because she's in the film industry. So I did. And she said, I know the perfect guy for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we were just at like a TIFF event and we randomly met each other um, yeah, on our the, own. So the funny thing uh, is, is, yeah, it was a, it was a, a setup that never actually happened. And then we talked for about a half hour. And after she walked off, Audrey just turned to me and said, that's who I was trying to set you up with. <laughs> and the rest of history. So and we still love each other, even though we work together. <laughs> nice. What would you say uh, got you started or what's your passion in the film industry? Uh, I I just love like I'm so interested in just people in general and like what makes them think and tick just like human human study. And um, so I started as an actor um, and, and, you know, growing up in Nova Scotia, it was kind of more part-time because you can't, I was also an accountant, um, you know, the, just the industry wasn't big enough there, but because it was small, I was always making my own work. I wanted to work so bad that I would constantly be writing shorts. And, and so that's kind of, I think where I got my work ethic from, that you had to do that to, to be able to just be active as an artist, um, so that's kind of where I got that from. And then I went through this little mini midlife crisis and went, decided to go back to school in New York later in, in life as an actress and then just found myself always writing and um, producing and recently directed, which is super exciting. Sort of similar. Um, I started my I'm a second generation film brat. So I, I grew up around the film industry. My uh my stepfather is a set painter, and the first film set I was on was uh, First Blood, the original Rambo movie, um, which was shot in Vancouver, where I grew up. And so um, I'd always been around the film industry and uh, and sort of, you know, found my way into different departments. I, I originally started in the paint department with my father, but I didn't much like it uh, just because it was 
I never felt like I was making a movie. I mean, you're a very small part of a, a larger thing, but you're so far removed from the actual shooting process and, the, and the, the storytelling part of it. I didn't enjoy that. Then I moved into camera lighting and I ended up getting a job um, on a TV show in Vancouver where I met some business partners, um, uh, who, well, people who eventually ended up becoming business partners. And um, I found my way into post, but at the time, uh, it's a little different now in Vancouver, but at the time, most post-production was being done elsewhere. So you would you would shoot it here in Vancouver and there was a ton of big Hollywood movies being shot, but there was not a lot uh, being posted here, they would ship the footage back to Los Angeles, or they would ship the footage to Toronto, and there'd be an editor there working. And I wanted to get into long form, you know, cutting features and and television. And so, myself and my three business partners, uh, who had similar stories that they wanted to do things that they weren't being given the opportunity to do, likely in, we decided to create our own stuff. And somehow we came up with this plan to move clear across the country from uh, Vancouver to Halifax. Uh, because they had a very aggressive film commission there. And so I spent about seven years in Halifax and and produced uh, a sketch comedy pilot, a number of shorts, a feature film. Um, and uh, and we had a number of other projects in development uh, at various networks and studios in Canada. And uh, and then eventually the partnership kind of fizzled. And, um, and that's when I, I went to Toronto to go to the Canadian Film Centre. But but that whole process of trying to create work for myself to do what I wanted to do, which was just tell stories and, and make movies and television. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I sort of fell into that accidentally in, in the process of trying to create work for myself. I, I became a producer. I will say um, Michael Mason is one of the most talented editors I know. I do consider you my editing mentor. Every time I have a cut, I'm usually like I'm sending it out to you when I after I make something. I'm I'm personally even with my own work, I'm a big believer in fresh eyes. I mean, most people, it, it's you know you can get very close to things, and you can sometimes you know uh, you just get used to something, and you think it, yeah. it's not working or it is working, and you lose that perspective. And so you need that objectivity, somebody who can just sort of look at it from the outside without all the baggage. I've seen, you know, directors almost want to throw away a scene because they have bad memories of what what happened on set or how things didn't turn out the way they had initially intended. Right. So, you know, that that feeling is like, oh, I'll just I'll just get rid of it. And uh and so sometimes it's my job to try and show them that actually it can be saved and 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 it is useful to the film and it, it it's an important piece. So yeah, I'm, I'm a big believer in fresh eyes. Um, so, you know, I'm always happy to look at other people's stuff. Yeah. It's always different in post. It's always, once you yeah. start looking at the footage, it's always different. Yeah. Um, Why? <laughs> I, I, I have no idea. <laughs> I think, I think it's like you said, emotionally, when you're on set, someone, an actress or an actor may do something. And you're like, Oh, that's a horrible take. And then yeah. you look at it in, in post and you're just like, Oh, not so not so bad. That might that might be the one actually. <laughs> so you never actually know. You let your emotions take over how you think of the shot actually when you're on set. So when you see it, then yeah, you're like, you oh. remember that moment of like the whole crew is like, oh, I love that one, and and yeah. so you hang on to that. Yeah, yeah or I've seen vi- the opposite. 
Yeah, yeah vice versa. When it's like on set, it was like, oh, that was hilarious. That was great. Everyone thought it was great. And then you get a post and you're like, no, that's that was that was not good at all, actually. That's so funny. <laughs> that's so yeah, funny. I've had directors say to me, like, yeah, no, it's the take where they do this. And I'm like, yeah, that, that that's that's the take right there. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what it seemed like on set. Maybe it felt bigger, but that's what it is. <laughs> I, I'm always curious about this when I see a married couple working together. And I've seen you guys work together and you guys work seamlessly but how do you make time for each other it's it's tough i mean it's something that you have to constantly work on there's there's definitely times and we we try to avoid this like if we're out to dinner for instance say we're going out on a you know date night and we're we're going out to dinner somewhere and we're having a nice meal and you know you're spending a bunch of money and you get a you know a bottle of wine and you're enjoying yourself the it's so easy to just slide into work talk like oh this happened and this happened or oh should we do this and I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but you don't want work to be the only way you relate to each other. So it sometimes takes a lot of work to create those lines to say like, no, we're not going to do work talk tonight. We're just going to enjoy uh, each other's company and and talk about other stuff and not, you know, about the production that we're working on or the thing that yeah. we're developing. And, and it might sound kind of silly, but we'll like make meetings. Like, okay, three o'clock, we're, work- we're going to meet about this. 11 a.m. we're meeting about this. But then it kind of sets the boundaries of when we can each do our own individual work. And then like sometimes if we have stuff to talk about in the evening, we kind of like is it okay if we, you know, work for a bit now or are we just hanging out? Like, so it's, it's kind of silly in a way, but I feel like you have to set that up and do it. I can tell you now, <laughs> having a kid, that work talk becomes baby talk. It's like <laughs> you have to set, set, set time aside to talk just to hang out instead of talking only relating to each other through the baby. So, I mean, what, what advice would you give? What, I mean, you guys seem like a very well-disciplined uh, couple um, um, in all smoke and mirrors. <laughs> what what advice would you give to uh, a young couple uh, who are, are both in the film industry want their marriage to succeed? I think definitely try to you know put yourself in the other person's shoes. I mean, mm. you have to you have to remember that uh, anybody who's produced anything knows it takes a long time for the paychecks to roll in on that kind of stuff. So you end up having to work outside of it. You know, you have to work. I work as an editor for a living. And, uh, and so oftentimes, you know, you come home from a day of work and there's stuff that you need to get done. And uh, I think just understanding and, and putting yourself in the other person's shoes and knowing they may be tired or, yeah. uh, or they may, you know, they may need some time to decompress before you can get into anything. Um, I mean, that's a, a, a big part of it, I think, is I think is, so. is communication and, 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 and understanding. Like, yeah, I think just communication, again, is like also trying to create the same boundaries as if you were in an office and you weren't married. So, for example, like if I wrote something and it very well could be crap and he could be right, like he could with shorthand just be like, you know what, like that sucks. But then like that could create more animosity. So, you know, just kind of like really like the direction, but this didn't work because of this. I mean, it sounds so elementary, but it's just, I think it just comes down to respect and and we're not perfect. So there might be a reason why we figured out how to do this, you know, (laughs) we had some growing pains, you know, and it's not always perfect. Right. So, I mean, Michael, you're an editor and a producer, Leanne, you're an actress, writer, producer, and you guys come together for Penguin Pictures. Yeah. What are the overall goals of Penguin Pictures? 
I feel like like the biggest one is we want to create work that's going to inspire others and change the world, whether that's to make someone laugh or to open their eyes up to something that's going on that needs to be fixed. And even if it's not like, we don't necessarily want to make a film that tells someone, Stephen, you have to think this way because we're right. But if we can just open someone up to think of other possibilities. So those are our, are like kind of like that's our company mandate overall that's what we're trying to achieve i I think the idea is to put together stories that are not only entertaining and uh you know may give somebody some information or or teach them something that will help them but also you know that that is 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 just going to you know matter and so what what do you think are like uh i mean you guys are in canada and the uh penguin pictures uh, is based out of Canada, I'm assuming. Um, at w- what are some of the challenges that and uh, that you guys face uh, being Canadians uh, within the, in the film industry? Um, you know, we have a feature film that we're uh, in very late stage development. We're hoping to go to camera later this year. That we're uh, just sort of finalizing funding. Nice. And congrats! Congrats! Thank yeah, you. Um, it's been a while coming. Yeah, and this yeah. this one that Leanne wrote. Um, um, and we'll star in as well. Uh, and that um, will be shot in Canada in uh, in the province of Manitoba because they have a great tax credit system there. We have a partner producer based out of uh, uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba. Um, but then we have other productions like we partnered up um, with Kelly Perrine, who... Uh, who Stephen knows and worked with on uh, on reservations for three. Stephen's the one that started the trilogy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Shout out! Shout out to Kelly Perrine and yeah. his episode as well. He's he we he's all my badass him. like other side of the brain and awesome worker and yeah no he's all awesome. we, we had him on our show and he just brought energy. I mean the guy yeah. he, Kelly's great. We we clicked right away. Um, initially started working with Kelly on reservations for three, which. Stephen directed, um, uh, but we initially Ooh, just Steven. shout out, shout out. Actually, Reservations for Three is available on Amazon right now. Go ahead, and check it out. Reservations for nice, Three. Nice. Winner of how many awards we won with that? Seven. A lot, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. We cleaned up um, <laughs> a few best uh, best comedy shorts and uh, best narrative shorts and a bunch of acting awards. But yeah, we have a project in development now with with Kelly that we're uh, trying to get a, a one hour sort of drama series off the ground, um, kind of starting from the Capitol uh, riots moving forward. Um, so it's very topical, very now. You know, we're we're trying to do sort of projects that that interest us, but also we think are going to be you know better for the greater good. Is it easier for you guys to do films in in the U.S. or in Canada? Because I know, especially for the tax breaks in Canada, you get you get a bit more um, in, in Canada than you than you would in the U.S. So I'm just curious, you know, for our Canadian listeners. Well, I mean, there is a reason that we're shooting our feature in Canada, um, especially in Manitoba, because the tax credits are, you know, very very high there. Um, but our short films, we've shot in the U.S. I mean, there's pros and cons to to both. The advantage to Canada, and you have to, there's sort of thresholds. You have to be producing something that's above the threshold. Each each province will have its own, 
Um, and it'll have its own tax credit system with its own sort of numbers. You know, it'll be a percentage based on either uh, labor or uh, or your total spend in that province. Usually, there's uh, there's a difference between someone who is a homegrown producer, meaning someone you know who's indigenous to that province or state, in the case of the U.S., and someone who is a service producer is coming from uh, from outside. And so you sort of look at at the different jurisdictions in in Canada and the U.S. and decide where it makes sense to shoot your production based on locations you might need and what kind of tax credits Mm. they offer. The advantage to Canada is as Canadians, there's also um, funding, both federal and provincial funding uh, available um, for filmmakers. I mean, you have to apply for it and it, you know, it never comes without strings. Yeah. I mean, you may or may not get it, but it is available to apply for if it's some, you know, if you fulfill what they're looking for. And And these are grants. Yeah. Well, they're not grants. They're, they're, uh, in some cases they're equity, um, like telefilm, which is the sort of national funding uh, agency for Canada. Um, uh, telefilm Canada basically, um, you know, again, there's there's sort of different budget levels. They have a, a micro budget, uh, sort of a talent to watch program, which I believe is budgets two hundred fifty thousand and under. And then they have a, a sort of a regional fund that that deals in, in just sort of the specific regions, and that's um, anything with a budget of less than two and a half million. And then over two and a half million is a national uh, thing. So that each each funding level has its own sort of group of people who look at the projects and decide what meets their criteria and what they want to support. But you can get, you know, in some cases, you know, uh, millions of dollars. I mean, the, the regional wow. funding uh, for a budget of two and a half million dollars, I think caps out at, at 500,000. So wow. uh, we did apply for the telefilm funding. We, we did not get it. It wasn't, it just didn't jive with, with what they were looking for, but we are still shooting it in Canada because with all the tax credits and the equity we have, we are 60% financed. So we're with that film, we're currently um, starting our star casting so that uh, we can then use that to leverage getting the rest of the money from the market and be able to shoot. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that one of the reasons we chose Manitoba is their tax credit system. Uh, it's a very high percentage. It's 60% of your spend in Manitoba. Um, so you get a fair amount of money back, and then you can then borrow against that money uh, with bridge financing to use it in your production. And then they get paid back, of course, you know, um, once the tax credits come in. Uh, can, I, can I ask you to back up just a little bit? Because you said a bunch yeah, of sure. things I know the rookie filmmaker is going to be like, what did he just say? Yeah, um, sorry. <laughs> bridge financing, all those things. <laughs> so basically, if you if you're making a movie and you have all the money, you know, you're making it for a studio. Uh, if you're lucky enough to have all the money, uh, you just go out and you make your movie, and then afterwards you try and sell it, um, and uh, and you apply for your tax credits in whatever jurisdiction you're shooting in. You know, if you're in New York, it's thirty uh, uh, percent. L.A. It's a lottery system, and I think it's twenty five, but it's very you know there's only a few productions that get it. So you know you you can apply for your tax credits, and that can take the form of one of two things. It can either be a a rebate where you literally just get like a check back, send them in all your paperwork with your you know with your audit from your accountants, and you show how much money you spent and and how you fit their criteria, and they'll just send you. Uh, a check back. Now, the other way is a is a tax credit where it's a 
It's usable by a business that is making money in that jurisdiction to use against future profits. So in that case, if you don't have a business that's operating in that jurisdiction, then you could sell that tax credit. It's transferable in some cases. It's transferable and you could sell it through a broker to someone who does need that. And you might not get 100 cents on the dollar. You might get like 75 cents on the dollar or whatever. So your tax credit is for 100,000. You might only get 75. But if you don't have all the money to begin with, say you have half of the money, but you know you're going to get tax credits, you know roughly what they're going to be because you can use your budget to kind of calculate that. And maybe you have, say, a pre-sale uh, you know, somebody in Europe says, Hey, I really want to buy your film, you know, cause you've got David Hasselhoff in it and he's big. In Germany, <laughs> and Germans are like, right. we want this movie with David Hasselhoff in it. And so you, you pre-sell your film to them and they say, we're going to give you a hundred thousand dollars, but they're not going to give it to you until you deliver the film. And maybe not even then, maybe they'll give you half when you deliver it and then half after a year. But you're like, I want that $100,000 now, or I want you know as much of it as I can get now so I can use it to help make my film. You can go to a bank or to a financing uh, company that, that, that does finance and do what's called bridge financing. Basically, you're financing your tax credits or your pre-sales, and you use that contract to go to them and say, I have this signed contract. As long as I deliver a film, they are going to give me this much money. Uh, and you can do the same thing with your tax credits. You you go to the bank and you say, here's our tax credit calculations. We have an accountant that's looked at them and said that they are within a certain percentage of error, that that's what we're going to get back in tax credits. And they will lend you money based on those calculations. And then, of course, you pay interest and, you know, and a fee and all that kind of stuff. And uh, and that that can get fairly expensive. Uh, so then uh, the only question is, what if you don't finish the film? And that's where film bonds come in. If you if you've ever had to bond a film now, they don't tend to bond lower budget films anymore. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you've got a 20 million dollar film or a hundred million dollar film or a 200 million dollar film, and you borrowed all this money and then the film never gets made. Everybody loses a lot of money. So what they'll do is they'll they'll get a, a bond company to look at. Uh, basically, that bond company ensures that the film will get made, and if it doesn't get made, they will cover you know those other monies. So right. there's all this stuff uh, that's going on in the in the business world, as Alberto I'm sure knows that that yep. sort of goes on behind the scenes. That's not really about the creative part of filmmaking, but the business part of it. Uh, One of the struggles with um, a lot of filmmakers is you may have, you know, uh, a great creative mind and have all these stories you want to tell, but, but in some ways you need to either find yourself a business producer or somebody who can handle the business of it, or you have to yourself get good at it because uh, it is is really, you know, and it's not like a, you know, a painter can, you know, can put themselves into a room and, you know, with just a canvas and some brush and some paint, they can make a work of art. But a filmmaker, you know, it takes many, many people to make a film. You know, you've I got- think that's like a really good point because there's so many talented artists that struggle with their careers because they don't have the business mindset. I, I think that everyone in the industry should take, you know, either read or some kind of a business course to get the yeah. basics. And because it's vital, you, you know, no one else is going to do that for you. 
Film Finance by Michael Mason and Leanne. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's not even uh, Film Finance 101. That's just the timer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's just that's the cover page. Yeah, how to leverage your assets to get your film produced, huh? Look at that. Yeah, uh, see, that could be a podcast in itself. I mean, oh, and, yeah. And the same thing goes in, in Canada for the financing. I mean, uh, you know, if you if you're lucky enough to get film uh, your film financed by telefilm. I mean, they don't just give you all the money all at once. You get it through drawdowns and you have to deliver certain things like you'll get some money up front and then you'll have to deliver, you know, your rough cut. You'll have to deliver a, you know, a fine uh, cut. And, and so as you're delivering those things, you get a little bit of money in a drawdown, but, uh, but again, you kind of need it all, you know, all at once because you've got to make your film and it doesn't do you any good if you don't have enough money to film the thing that they're going to give you money in six months. It's like, I need it now so I can make my movie. So a lot of times you end up uh, bridge financing that as well. Uh, Mike, you are an editor and you just edited a film that got into Sundance. Uh, I did. Yeah. It was a, uh, it was a documentary by um, a director named Lucy Walker. Uh, it's shout out Lucy Walker. Uh, first, I should say I'm, I'm one of a number of editors. I'm, I'm not the main editor on it. Uh, the film itself was originally started as a short documentary about California wildfires. I came on in late in 2019 and they had already been editing for about a year and, uh, and, you know, other editors had been on and then had to move off onto other projects. So um, I was lucky enough to come in and, and work on the thing for about four months, I think, uh, until the pandemic started. And then they finished it up uh, just this last couple of months. And we had our premiere, our world premiere at Sundance. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's an important film. It's, uh, it's sort of an investigation into why these fires keep happening and why they keep getting bigger. And the obvious thing is climate change which is a part of it, but surprisingly not the major part of it. It's just a small part of it. And I think the filmmaker herself was a little surprised when she started to realize just how much there is in terms of this problem of why these fires keep getting bigger. I'm sorry, M Michael, what's the name of the documentary? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I should have said that. Poor PR on my part. It's called Bring Your Own Brigade. Your short film we talked about it before, but I do want to talk about it now. The um, what's your film about? You you have a short film now that you made during quarantine. Oh yeah, it's called "Tell Me Something." So I uh, I worked on that heavily with Curtis Webster. It was his nugget idea and his script, and uh, he brought it to me. And because we were both like, "There's got to be a way that we can just make something during the quarantine. Let's not care about having a budget and this big. We just wanted to stay active and do something." Yeah. Um. So for me, what it really taught me was to think outside of the box um, and that there are no constraints to making films. And uh, so the film itself, it's about a woman that is quarantined and is calling into a suicide helpline because she's, you know, she wants to end her life. It's, it's, um, but, but there is a positivity in the movie and that, um, you know, unbeknownst to our viewers that, the man on the helpline is also struggling and through the process of they stay on the phone on like a zoom call all night and they actually like really connect and her connection with him actually helps him to to get through what he was going through and struggling with which you learn by the end of the film um so it, it, it's to highlight how important human connection is and how hard this quarantine and isolation is on people and how you know, how real suicide 
is and it's it's more like now more than ever i, I mean it it just people need to be aware of it are are you in the film leanne i am in the film um so it was recorded primarily like over zoom because it, a lot of it takes place over a zoom call that's how she called into the suicide helpline through a zoom call um and then we also <laughs> curtis's wife Kay was his dp <laughs> and then my partner mike was my dp and so you know we had iphones to shoot the other angles but it was basically like zoom footage and two iphones so it's very much character driven story and i shot another film that amazingly beautiful on you know red and all this like phenomenally beautiful and it was an action film and had like a lot of gymnastics in it and all these sequences. So I'm proud of that for a very different reason. But this one goes to prove to me that you don't necessarily have to wait to have all those things to be able to get your art out there. And I mean, as an exercise in just trying to get something made, I think uh, for sort of our sanity as well as, as you know, for people to see, but I, I think it does really highlight you know, you need some kind of human connection and, and, yeah. uh, and just, you know, to, to be touched, like a, a feeling of someone yeah. touching you. And so I, I think, you know, that's sort of what, what we were trying to get across with this is, is how important that is. And I uh, feel really proud of it. Cause, um, you know, it's got into four or five festivals and it was really no budget. It was just us, but it has screened at a, at a number of festivals in, in Southern California, and uh, we will be screening at the Borrego Springs Film Festival. They delayed it. delayed it because of COVID. But that will be the next festival it's screening at. So I'm sure it will be online too. So if if people... We'll, we'll put the Borrego Springs uh, screening in the show notes. So everyone yep. can awesome. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It sounds like a good story. So how was it getting into that role uh, and, and diving into that? Did you have to do some research? Did you kind of, uh, um, you know, took some experience that you're kind of going through now through the whole cabin fever. Uh, yeah, it was really tough. I, d- I did pull I pull on some experiences that, you know, I was going through, but then obviously it had to be heightened um, because thankfully I wasn't suicidal in real life. But, but I think we can all relate to that, to that feeling of like, staring at the same wall every day over and over and over. And it's like groundhog day over and over and over. And if you have no one to talk to and no one, and, you know, I have some friends that suffer from, you know, mental health and suicide. And, and so I, even though I thankfully don't have it myself, I definitely can relate and just had to kind of put myself in that position. It was it was a tough role to play. It was challenging. No, I bet. No, that, that's why I asked the question because uh, it sounds like a tough role, uh, and I just wanted to know how how do you how do you find your character? And you know, thanks for sharing that, yeah. Michael. What what kind of advice would you give to someone who is starting off as an editor in the industry? I always had that kind of attitude of like I'm going to do it myself and sort of earn while you learn. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like uh, I once got a job uh, on a show and I had never used Avid before, but I had used other software and, uh, and I just kind of said, yeah, yeah, I know how to do Avid. And then I just figured it out. Right. Part of that is my personality. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at computers so I could learn the software, but I think the reason it works is because, you know, like being an editor, I'm not an editor because I know how to use Avid or I know how to use Premiere or, you know, Final Cut or any of those softwares. 
I'm an editor because I understand how to visually tell a story and to put images together to achieve whatever effect you want. And so that's kind of a long-winded way of saying, like, just go out there and be proactive and, and create things yourself, find people who you like to work with, who you can create things with and, and build up a body of work, um, you know, by doing that, as opposed to like, you know, just sitting there and and waiting for the phone to ring. I think that's a, that's actually a really um, strong way to say it as an editor, because a lot of editors, they know a lot of tools, but they don't know how to tell a story. Mm. So technically they know how to push the buttons, right? And so they know how to make Premiere work, but it's like, can you tell a story though? Because an editor is probably the most underappreciated facet of filmmaking. I, I can't think of anything. And yet the most important. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, it's it's so important, if not the most important part of filmmaking, yet totally everyone just disregards it. Um, so can you tell a story? I think your editor has to be extremely um, yeah. versed in that as well. For sure. I've, I've had a conversation with uh, many a director before I, I take a job where I, I sort of say to them, um, you know, and some directors, and I have nothing against them, have a very strong sense of, of what it is they want to do. And they're not necessarily looking for a collaborator. They're looking for someone to push buttons. They're looking yeah. for their hands to drive the software. And, and yeah. I usually have that conversation with someone when I'm going to take a job. Um you know, because I don't want to sit in a chair for five months on a film and be uncomfortable and, and they're going to be uncomfortable and it's just not going to work. Um, because at the end of the day, I mean, I'm a storyteller, and I, you know, editing is just one way of doing it. But I, I think yeah. of myself as a storyteller. So speaking of stories, um, story time. Um, what is this can either be a story between the two of you or one of you tell a story, whatever you decide, but your craziest on set story. Well, <laughs> can I tell my fire story? Oh, Kelly, I, I'm just going to oh, have yes, to tell yeah. it. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, I don't know. It's not really that great of a story. From, well, no. I, I'm, from, so, okay, we, we we have these films like Reservations for Three, Candace and Peter's Smoke and Hot Date, Is You Is. Shout out to Steven again for starting the way with the first <laughs> one. Um, the second one, Candace and Peter's Smoke and Hot Date. Um, my husband and I decided to co-direct together, which was awesome. Um, so we shot it at Kelly's house. We used his kitchen. Very first shot of the day. And this was my very first uh, directing call on it. We were, you know, there is cooking of pork chops involved in the film. So the frying pan is sizzling and, and I, it's like awesome shot that I just needed it to sizzle a little bit more. Hey, Kelly, <laughs> Kelly, just like. Put a little bit of water on that. <laughs> so oil and water do not mix. Anybody who's had a grease um, fire know the last so thing you want to do is add water. Literally, like all of a sudden, like it goes up in flames to the ceiling. Kelly's trying to put it out. I my instinct was to run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, forget this, like, oh I'm out. Gosh. I was like, do we have insurance? We're gonna burn down Kelly's house. But but Kelly put it out. But um so Leanne was behind the monitor. I was actually standing uh next to Ryan, uh, who um Steven knows he's he's shot. Oh, Ryan shot that well. Ryan shot, yeah. shot, oh, shot nice. shout out to Ryan, amazing DP. Ryan Griswold, shout out, shout out. Griswold, great DP. He's done like four of my shorts at this point. He's done. Yeah, I he's use this guy all the great. time. Yeah. Uh, Ryan was shooting that, and so he was shooting it handheld on his shoulder, and I was sort of beside him, you know, looking at the monitor, and then Leanne was behind the you know video village monitor, 
And, uh, and then of course, Kelly was standing in front of the stove. And, and I think what Leanne meant was like a flick of water just to get yes. the sizzle, <laughs> but we dumped water and it just went, woof, uh, it went up. And, uh, and so, uh, Kelly that was not clear direction on my part <laughs> or a miscommunication. Anyway, Kelly, Kelly very smartly immediately grabbed a lid and put a lid on top of it. And I, at the same time, quite proud of the fact that I didn't bolt that I went forward and, and, uh, and I am not proud off. that I bolted, but that was my <laughs> it, was, it was a potential disaster. Uh, you know, it's like, just, I'm getting out of here. Yeah, it, it's, it's funny. Now it wasn't when it happened. It wasn't when it happened. So Leanne, Michael, uh, what are some of the goals for 2021 for you guys or for Penguin Pictures? I think number one priority is to get that film made this year. Um, and uh, and certainly, um, you know, at least get it in the can and, and, and start post on it. So, yeah. And then also, we, we, I mean, it's it's too early to say get it shot. I mean, you never know. But the the ghost story I was telling you about that I wrote, it's a very, very important film to me. Um, and it's going to, it's, it's a little bit of a higher budget, but it's going to be a, a co-production between the UK and Canada because a lot it's of it, a feature? it's a feature. A lot of it takes place around a, a monument in London called Cleopatra's Needle. Um, so very much part of it does need to be shot there, but, um, I'm the, one of our goals is to get that, um, all of like the pre-production ready so it can be shot in twenty. 22 and then of course we're still pitching our tv shows and where, where can we find oh you're, i guess you're pitching them so you're not are they online those two shorts uh is you is and um smoking Hot is, is you is 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 also playing the fits it's the third in the candace and peter uh saga um we're just trying to get the word out there and and the three films together are uh sort of we're using them as as uh a tool to help pitch a uh, a TV series version of those two characters anyway. Yeah. All right, here goes the last one. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 40 years from now, you're old people. You're looking I'm back at your... old. <laughs> I'm sorry. 60 years from now, you're old people. <laughs> 60 years from now should be 29. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I'm going to start counting backwards next year. So (laughs) Uh, when you're, you're old, you're looking back in your career, what is making you most proud? I would definitely say the stuff that we created ourselves. I mean, I, I like working, I like working, you know, for other people or with other people, um, you know, where it's just sort of a job for hire, um, you know, and I have a number of filmmakers that I've worked with repeatedly who I, you know, now call friends. Uh, but I, I, I think the stuff that you do yourself um, always just feels, you know, a little more special. It just feels a little more um, like you're putting a piece of you into it or a bigger piece of you into it. Yeah. And I just like, feel like like all the magic that we create together you know, you know, like it's because um, filmmaking is so collaborative and to be able to share that journey with, you know, someone that you love, I think it's pretty phenomenal. And just I, I think also if I could predict 60 years, because this is the way I feel now, all the people I meet along the way, like I'm so like happy to have you in my corner, Stephen, and, and, you know, just like all of those relationships of the people you yeah. meet. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, one of the great things about the film industry is that you, you know, you have the opportunity to meet and work with so many people and sometimes travel. I mean, I I did a film uh, two and a half years ago where I got to go to South Africa for eight weeks. Uh, Amazing. One of my, you know, one of the greatest experiences I've had. Um, I got to meet some great people. It's, it's, it's pretty special. You get to meet, uh, you know, some amazing people and, and, you know, form bonds with them. And usually because, you know, it's, it's almost like those battlefield bonds. You imagine that, you know, that, you know, soldiers have, you know, you're sort of under fire together in a different way. And so you make bonds with people like you, you know, you just connect, you're there for long periods of time and, and you're, you know, dealing with stressful situations. So, you know, you bond with people, you, you know, work hard, play hard. And so some of those, some of those relationships are are ones that I think they're going to last for a long time. So absolutely. It's funny. Every time, I mean, I'll talk about this every single time, every time I ask, almost every time I ask someone that question and I ask everyone the same question, it always comes down to relationships in some kind of way. Oh, wow. So everyone always says at some point in some kind of way, in their own way, the people I meet, the people I influence and the people who influence me in some kind of way. And it's always interesting to me how we, as much as, you know, we admire awards and big money and all those things, we all want those things. When it comes down to is relationships, what yeah. it comes down to is the family that you create through those, you know, like you say, in those wartime situations, when you're on set, it feels like you're in battle with someone like, oh, yeah. and on a team and you're getting this job done. Like that night when we were doing reservations, we did it in one night, oh, yeah. nine hours, 15, what, 13 pages, 13 pages, whatever it was. Yeah, that yeah, was a was little and a half pages, crazy. Half pages, nine hours and overnight. at 5 a.m. in Beverly Hills. When we, we talk about it. a story. I could throw a quick story in here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> we, we were we, we're shooting this this uh, short 13 pages, nine hours and construction started happening. What, four in the morning, something like that? Four or five a.m. in four or five a.m. Beverly Hills, we're shooting in Beverly Hills, construction starts, and we're like, oh, we're shooting outside of this restaurant. Okay. And we're just like, oh my God, they can't, we can't shoot with them we're like doing this. And so we were losing light. We're losing light. It was getting Art. light outside. Yeah. yeah. It was just like we have they have to stop. We can't, we can't go on. And I forget whose idea it was, but we we're just like, at first it was like Stephen, you got to go over and talk to them. I'm like, I'm a big black guy. I, don't I think, think it was work. your idea, Stephen. I think, I think, it was my idea. <laughs> I think yeah. <laughs> a good a learning opportunity for any young producer out there. If you ever find yourself in that situation where you've got someone uh, with construction going on, send over the pretty girl in the slightly low cut top with a, a whole plate of free food. food. Yeah, we had a bunch of food and Leanne's dressed in a nice dress with cleavage. I said, Leanne. Take off the jacket and <laughs> bring food over to the guys. <laughs> you know, it's funny. They were so nice. They just like yeah. are like they're like, oh, we're just doing our job. I was like, uh, it's like, is there any way? Like, just like we half only hour, need 15, 20 minutes just to get a couple more shots. It Here's wasn't some pasta, have some food. Nice. <laughs> it's a reminder to ask for what you want, right? But I yes. think that we all thought we were screwed, and Stephen was like we got to do this. So he found a way. <laughs> What's the way to do it? Like, this is the problem. How Food do we solve it answer. now? <laughs> <Food>. <laughs> but th- that's, uh, I truly thank you guys for coming on and doing this. This is a no, lot no, of fun. fun. When I first started this industry, 
um, you guys were the one of the first people after Vinny to like really like to that were my first connection, like first people I met and was like, oh, I know people in the industry who do stuff and want to work with me. So I appreciate you guys for wanting to work with me. Oh, and, you're so talented, you're, Steven. You're, yeah, you're you're great. I don't I don't know of anybody else who could have pulled off reservations for three, nine hours, nope. 13 hours, <laughs> nine hours. I mean, you you had your shit down. You got every shot we needed and more. You know, Leanne and Kelly had to nail it, but you also needed to know what you needed, you know, in order to be able to tell that story. And yeah, and you got it all. So I mean And beautifully. Yeah, and it won a lot of awards too. So yeah. it did. Yeah, I mean that's uh, honestly that film is one of the films I'm most proud of. I mean, you know, Candace and Peter's Smoking Hot Date, which Leanne and I co-directed, uh, did well at festivals. Um, but I'm still more proud of Reservations for Three. So yeah, it has a nice little heart to it. And yeah, uh, it does. Keeping my eye out, and I'm waiting for that 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 feature of yours to. Oh my god, I want to scream right now every time I think about that feature. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's coming. I, it's coming. I, you know, I, you, I know it's coming. You just one of them. Are, I have like three right now at this point, and one of them yeah. need to happen. He has a couple things in the pipeline. He's uh, he's been quite patient, um, and he's gotten he's gotten close to the finish line, and he's almost there. You just have to be persistent. Uh, I don't talk about it a lot, but the feature film that I produced in Nova Scotia, when uh, when I did that, I, I moved out, like I said, with three business partners. We moved across the country from Vancouver, Hollywood North to Halifax, uh, except we were broke. You know, we worked where we could, but we were really trying to focus our energy. So three of us literally lived in an office. Wow. <laughs> me and two other guys. And we used to shower every day at the gym. So I'd go to the gym and have my wow. shower there and... You know, uh, we lived in an office building um, and uh, in sort of the back part of our office was a lot of struggling and, uh, you know, a lot of just just willing it to happen. So so, you know, don't don't give up. I guess that's another, uh, you know, for for rookie filmmakers. Don't give up. You're going to get a lot of no's before you get yeses. So just uh, keep at it and believe in yourself and believe in your team. And uh, having a team is important, too, because sometimes you're going to get down and you're going to feel like giving up. And if you can find a group of people to work with who, you know, when you're feeling that way, somebody else can become the cheerleader and champion the project to keep it going. Um, You know, and you trade off like because there's going to be times where you're going to feel like throwing in the towel. That's huge advice. advice. Thank you guys for um, doing this. Appreciate you guys. And we'll speak soon. Yes. Sounds good. It was nice meeting uh, you, Alberto, and uh, and always a pleasure to see you, Stephen. If you enjoyed this episode and you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. To find out more about Leanne, Michael, and Penguin Pictures, please check the show notes. For more info about us, please follow us on Instagram at Once Upon a Film Industry. Thanks for listening, guys. See you next week.